You're listening to the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network. This is Drive Time with Travis Wingfield. Back to throw Tua, looking. Flips it down the wide open! <laughs> Touchdown, Tyreek Hill! Unbelievable! Just flew by him for a second time. Tua knew where he was going right away. How the hit is that, though, man? I really hope you soon jump on his bandwagon. Waddle, waddle. To a shotgun, back to throw, looking, steps up, fires, touchdown. Okay. It's Waddle. His sixth touchdown Six pass touchdown of the day. Drive time with Travis Wingfield begins now. Let me check your pulse if you're not fired up. What is up, Dolph fans, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast Part of the Miami Dolphins podcast network covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and on today's show, it's pivot day, hump day, turn the page day. We are taking a look at the five things I think from a big picture team perspective, plus in honor of Jets Week, my own personal favorite Dolphins rivalry I'll tell you about my five favorite Dolphins and Jets moments. We'll share a cool story from Mike McDaniel's presser this week on Robert Sala, and we're moving the picks component of the show to Wednesdays, so we'll make week five picks today as well. From the Baptist Health Studios inside the Baptist Health Training Complex, this is the Drive Time Podcast. Glad to be back with you all here, kind of a flow back into the regular schedule. We like to peek behind the curtain here on the podcast, and to be honest with you, primetime games always make for a very, very long night. The game wraps up around 11.30, 11.45 if you're lucky. Myself, Juice, and Big Seth go on for two hours, and actually, this week, I remember very distinctly because I was, you know, the preseason game started at 7 and 7.30, the 8.15 start. I was a little bit worried about what time I might be done that night, so I looked at the clock 11.22 as the time we started because I knew that in two hours after that, I would be done at 1.22. Then it's either to the studio if we're at Hard Rock Stadium or back to my home office slash studio to tape the podcast. And I always say, I'm not going to plan it out. Just talk about it, get it done, and send it off. But then I just think the show is way better when I plan it out, so I wind up doing that. And by the time I tape, it is 3 o'clock in the morning, and then here's a question I have for you guys. Are you able to just go to bed right after you get done with your work? I personally need to wind down. Usually it's over an hour, but at least an hour to wind down before the night comes to an end. So all of that is to say the weekend was an absolute blur, but buddy, it does not stop there. I described this to some of my friends in the press room, Safed Dean and, and Marcel Louis-Jacques and some of the guys that you know I, I talk to every single day. On Monday, after Coach McDaniel had mentioned it was his daughter's birthday over last weekend, and many of them, as you well know, know that I also have a two-year-old daughter with a second one on the way. And my wife flew home for her baby shower with her family this past weekend, so I was on dad duty from Friday night at 5.32, that's when the flight left, until Monday night at 5.20. I knew exactly the times of those flights because we were on a Jack Bauer 24-style countdown. And parenthood's the craziest thing, but also like the biggest microcosm in all of life. I've mentioned it on the podcast so many times before, my philosophy on life, the yin and yang of life, if something can be that good, then it can be equally that bad. And positively, nothing is more rewarding than being a father, and it makes other thing, things seem so much less important. Now that said, it's also the most challenging thing you'll ever undertake. Fits, right? So after exactly 71.2 hours, did the math, 
I was feeling like Jimmy Butler at the scores table in the 2020 NBA Finals. But we are back. We are revitalized and ready for a fun Wednesday show, starting with our weekly segment, Five Things I Think, was bumped last week because of the short week, but it's back here uh, for week five. I almost said week four. We'll dive briefly into the five big picture things, and this is one of my probably favorite because... You know, you've hit one of the checkpoints in the season. I know it's no longer the exact quarter poll, but if I had a nickel for every time I heard an analysis over the last 25 years, that teams would break the schedule down into four quarters and you try to go three and one in every quarter. If you do that, you're 12 and four. We know mathematics. Well, I'd have a whole bunch of nickels if I did that. So these are my five things, I think, from the quarter poll, the first quarter of the season, even though it's not exactly a quarter anymore, heading into the second quarter of the season. Five big picture items, five things I think. Number one is this team has potential to win in any given way on any given Sunday. It rhymes, but it's also true, which is awesome because that's how the good teams in this league are constructed. You know, all offseason long, I was so encouraged by the depth of this roster. We've seen that come into play with shuffling guys on the offensive line, getting production from young guys in the cornerback position. Uh, linebackers kind of had some changes here and there. The edge position has been a big rotation. The offensive skill guys are seeing, you know, elevation of Jalen Waddle getting more and more work down the field, but guys like Craycraft and Sherfield and behind him, and you still have more options that really, you know, Cedric Wilson, Mike Gesicki, Chase, Ed- Chase Edmonds and Raheem Mostert, proven guys in this league that haven't gotten to that level yet either. So I'm encouraged by the fact that they have depth all up and down the roster the defense, you know, has been solid, an efficient offense with big plays, you know, week one. And then in week two, you have the offensive onslaught, then back to a masterful defensive showing in week three against the Bills. And then I talked about this in the Friday recap pod, how it felt like Miami was kind of going to take that game back with the ground game. Ultimately, ultimately did not, but it felt like that was how they were going to get back after a big Raheem Mostert run on the eventual interception drive. And I think as we go along, you know, as this team continues to get better, We'll just see more of that, you know, potentially getting Byron Jones back here sometime in the near future. Potentially. We'll see. I don't know the timetable on that, but hopefully it's it's not too far off. You know, hopefully the quarterback as well. And then obviously, uh, you know, like we mentioned across the offensive line, Austin Jackson, uh, the, the players that are out there and, and getting more and more work. Hopefully it continues to build and we see this team get better as the year goes along. Number two thing that I think is that it's a great start to the season through a very tough slate and how that gives the Dolphins an opportunity to, you know, continue this strong season. Look at the, I know this doesn't really, you know, track, I suppose. But if you look at last year's records of teams the Dolphins have played, the Patriots were a playoff team, a 10-win team a year ago. I've mentioned this a million times. Ravens were 8-3 and three and the one seed in the AFC before injuries began to mount and kind of took their toll on that team. And then Buffalo, we all know what Buffalo can do is, in my opinion, still the best team in the National Football League. I really wish Baltimore had held on late in that game, uh, but they're rolling right now still. And then the Bengals played in the Super Bowl last year. You know, everyone's saying they're back after a couple of wins over uh, teams that had their QB1s injured and out. So we'll see about that. But obviously they were a, a Super Bowl team a year ago. It's a tough road to start off with, especially when the ladder there, the one that you lost was a short week uh, playing on the road. It's never easy to do that. And, you know, if you go off of the records from last season, it's the second uh, strongest schedule to start the season in the NFL. If you go off PFF's uh, projected win totals right now, which, you know, who knows what that actually is. But I mean, it it holds up because you look at the schedule and it makes the most sense. But the Dolphins have the fourth easiest remaining schedule over the final 13 games of the season. 
But we're not looking back. All of this is to look at what lies ahead. Starting 3-1 and one gives you a chance to keep it rolling into that second quarter, but nothing further than the Jets this week, obviously. And 4-1, and one, if the Dolphins get this dub, would be the franchise's best start since 2003. Let's go get it, baby. Come on. Should, should be one we go get. Let's go take care of business on the road. Number three, how about the last three draft classes here in Miami? I mean, judging a draft class, you know, uh, is always said to be done three years after it happens. And we are there with the 2019 class. We're getting there with 2020 in this third season now for all those guys. Then frankly, I don't think you need three years for 2021 because Jalen Waddle's fifth in the NFL on receiving has made big play after big play. He's changed the complexion of like three of these games so far, three of the four games. Uh, the touchdown against the Patriots, you know, from 10 nothing to 17 nothing at halftime is obviously massive. The 160 yard, yards versus Baltimore, that 57-yard reception where he just went, or how many yards was it? I don't know. The long, long one where he ran like a million miles across the field. Obviously, the game-winning touchdown. How about that? That'll do. Two touchdowns in that game. Then the 45-yard play against the Buffalo Bills. What a fine Jalen Waddle was. Remember all the, the conversation about the Dolphins and what they should have done that year? I think getting an extra first-round pick and getting, in my not in my opinion, the best receiver, the best skill player in that draft class, I think that was the right move. Uh, Jalen Phillips got his first sack of the season, but that's, that's you know that stat doesn't do his work justice so far. He's drawing lots of attention, drawing double teams, applying pressure, playing the run, and his possessional flexibility. He got his sack from a four technique. Like, this is a guy listed as a linebacker, but he's playing, you know, off the edge. He's condensing down to a more true defensive tackle position. Jalen, or uh, not Jalen Phillips, Christian Wilkins and Zach Sealer play that position. <laughs> Do you realize how we, how rare that is for a guy to be able to play that spot, but also play off the edge like he does? It's, it's not normal. And then uh, Javon Holland, I don't think I have to talk much about him. We rave about his game in every single film pod our film review podcast because he just does so much and covers so much ground and make plays outside of his responsibility within a given defensive call. Then back to 2020, I mean, Tua, I mean, looking like the real deal this year. Austin Jackson looked good this camp and in his first game before the injury. Uh, obviously, big Rob Hunt looks like one of the best right guards in football, in my opinion. Raekwon Davis is a very solid defensive tackle, nose tackle type. And then Brandon Jones, you know, I, how many pairings are better than J Brandon Jones and Javon Holland right now? There's not many, if any. Uh, then 2019, you got Christian Wilkins and Andrew Van Ginkle in a year where, you know, draft picks wasn't, it was, that was kind of the de depletion year. It was kind of moving assets into the future. So even with limited resources in the draft, they still come away with a, you know, fantastic defensive tackle, a good edge presence. You'd have Michael Dieter for depth on the offensive line. And then obviously Miles Gaskin here as well from that draft class. So Drafting's been pretty good, man. Been pretty good. Number four takeaway, defense, defensive continuity is paying dividends. The flexibility of this defense, I mean, we talked about it on the, uh, I don't even know what day it was, the last podcast that came out. How many guys can play so many spots that allows them to be game plan specific, but just the, the ability to disguise coverage where you show one look and you bail out the last second, you know, Javon Holland and Jerome Baker's speed, allowing them to basically go from line of scrimmage threats to post safety or, you know, 20 yard deep hook Tampa two drop for Jerome Baker. It just helps you have, you know, so many different game plans you can roll out so many different ways to disguise quarterbacks. And, you know, I have this, this big thing, this big take about how essentially the best defenses in the league right now are the defenses that have played the lesser offenses. That's why like Miami's ranks are not going to be good because no one's going to stop Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson and at various points as well, Joe Burrow and that Bengals offense, no one's going to stop them like for a whole game consistently. It might happen a couple times, but those teams are going to put up points and stats and yards every single week. And that's how this, this, you know, league is built. That's why I, I was so 
into the game plan idea against the Bills of making them dink and dunk and do something that makes them uncomfortable. And then you just kind of hope they make mistakes. And they did in that game. So that's why, like, you know, you're going to see the defensive rankings are going to jumble up all the time. When you get to a run of really good offenses, your defense takes a big step back in terms of their ranking statistically. And so we've seen this Dolphins defense play pretty well through, you know, the top two MVP candidates right now, probably in Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, Jalen Hurts, probably in that conversation as well. But two of the top three MVP candidates and then last year's, you know, the guy that everyone fell in love with, Joe Burrow, uh, played a game as well. And then Mac Jones in the first game for the Patriots. So it's been... You know, three really, really good quarterbacks, another pretty solid quarterback, and the Dolphins are hanging in there defensively. And then you get a stretch against, you know, a second-year quarterback this week. Kirk Cousins obviously has a bunch of experience after that. Then a rookie in week number seven. Jared Goff and the Lions, who are on fire right now. Then another second-year quarterback in Justin Fields. Then a second-year quarterback in Davis Mills. Then Jacoby Brooks. You see what I'm saying? Like, I think the defense will will really kind of take off in the stretch, and that continuity plays a big part of that. It helps when you have a damn good defensive coordinator like Josh Boyer. It helps when your front is deep and flexible, like we talked about in the previous segment there uh, with Holland and and um, geez, Holland and Baker, and what they can help you do. I guess that was the same segment. And I think you know, again, Javon Holland and Brandon Jones coming into their own together, such instinctive players who seem to know what they're processing instantly. That's kind of your bookend of this takeaway is that those two guys, their maturation is allowing you to be so creative and flexible on that back end. And eventually it's going to start confusing quarterbacks and it's going to lead to a bunch of takeaways any given week now. I think it's coming. My, my guess is this week, but I think it's coming very soon. A pile of takeaways in a football game. Takeaway or a big picture thing, I think number five is there's still room to grow. You know, kind of borrowing Coach McDaniel's theme here about how if you're on the journey you want to be on, then each game you play will be the worst one the next worst one in line. You should get better each week. And with, you know, the nice start, still plenty of things you can work on to get better than the three and one football team you are right now. You know, coaches address that about getting the running game going a little bit more, one or two blocks away on some plays from some big, big plays out the gate. Special teams has had, you know, a rough couple of weeks. I expect them to get back on track offensively, you know, maybe a fewer drops or penalties or things that kind of bog things down offensively because they've been pretty good for the most part offensively with their, their EPA and their maybe it's just getting more cracks at the apple because their efficiency numbers are fantastic right now but just fully buying in on coaches thought that there are are about the improvement and think it's heading in that right direction with still room to grow despite a very good three and one start and again Sunday a chance to make it four and one for the first time since 2003 I was a sophomore in high school <laughs> Let's go, man. Come on. Speaking of that, we'll talk some Mariners here in a little bit. Last time I watched them play a playoff game, I was in the sixth grade. So sixth grade? I don't know, man. I forget. I don't know. I'm like 35. Um, we'll do some of that stuff next. That's all part of the podcast coming your way. Uh, a second list coming your way here next. My top five Dolphins Jets memories. That's next. Drive Time Podcast. Your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by Auto Nation. Hey guys, this is Matt Jones, Drew Franklin from the Fade This Podcast. We got a great episode coming up, picks in all the sports, football, basketball, we do them all, but here's a preview of this week's episode. Do you think it's more embarrassing to dye your hair or to have hair plugs? I don't think either are embarrassing if you're not trying to conceal it and act like you didn't. Okay, so you think if you just come out and go, I got hair plugs... Yeah, like check out these hair. Pl- I mean, don't just walk around. Hey, tapping. You know, hey, hey, stranger. I don't want you thinking this is natural. You know, but I mean, <laughs> do you, you have to do that with everyone you meet? Try to act like they. Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah, but I mean, like, like John Cena got it. You know, when John Cena came back to wrestling, he had a bald spot, and now he doesn't. Mm-hmm. You think he should be required in all interviews to say, "Look, by the way, I covered up my bald spot." Yeah, I guess it's weird. I mean, you don't wear a sign or like put a sign in your yard, but. 
All right, so what about toupees? Those are the most obvious. I but let's like. say you're like Bill Self and you can get it to where it looks good. His is magical. I don't even know if his is a toupee. It is. I think he went into the future and had a procedure we haven't even discovered yet. And this episode was brought to you in partnership with DraftKings. To hear more, listen and subscribe to Fade This on iHeartRadio or wherever you listen to podcasts. It's a day of lists here on the Drive Time Podcast, and I want to cover my five personal favorite Dolphins and Jets memories. But first, I want to play the sound from this story that Coach McDaniel said at his Monday press conference telling us about his former co-worker and new division rival head coach Robert Sala of the New York Jets. And I just thought it was really good. He was asked if he could share a memory, a story, or something in general about Coach Sala and their time together. Here's Coach McDaniel. Well, he was a squatter um, when he first got the job in Houston, which was hilarious. Um, So I came with Gary Kubiak um, and Troy Calhoun, really, from the Broncos. And we, uh, in Houston, what was in Reliance Stadium, we had, like, an office that, uh, you know, there was one guy in there when I got there. It was Robert Sala, and he hadn't been terminated he was, um, I think, working with Dom Capers um, before. He hadn't been ter- terminated. I think he had, like, two more weeks of pay or something. Um, so he did an excellent job of just forcing his hand and getting FaceTime with the head coach. Sat in there all week. I think I got there, like, on a Tuesday. And he just sat in across from me in this awkward room, like, hey, dude, you got a job? No, I'm not really. I'm trying to see Gary Kubiak. And he just waited there until, I think, like, Friday barged in and told him, hey, you know, I'd really want to work for you. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of those those stop gaps at the beginning of Robert Sala's career. Um, always uh, a sponge, always unbelievably smart. He would, he would always blow my mind because our, like we'd have a problem with our printer and we're trying to print Visio or Excel or something. And he wouldn't call IT. He would just like open up this manual figure out how to how to figure this stuff out um so he's always always super smart but had some hiccups in his career which I really really respect because he just he just really stayed true to himself kept pressing finally um was a little more fortunate when he was with Seattle and as an assistant there um and then um you know but he's he's never been given anything just like he wasn't given the job um with Gary Kubiak in 2006 um, I think when he went to San Francisco in 2017, it was under um, the it was under the impression he would be the linebackers coach, and he asked to interview for the defensive coordinator spot. Long story short, he hasn't been given anything, and every time he's been given an op, he's taken advantage of it. So, um, very very close with him as a human being. Um, really respect him as a as a man, um, but from a professional standpoint, he's lived the the whole mantra of of you you don't define me, I define me, and he's pushed through and really, um, you know, one of the better defensive coaches and head coaches I've ever been around. It sure seems like most successful people have a story similar to that, like resilience and that never quit attitude. Uh, that's kind of how I wound up in this position, you know, talking to my former boss, Jason Jenkins, the, the great Jason Jenkins, uh, you know, just 
knocking on his door every day, sending emails, getting a hold of him, saying, hey, I'm here. I'm still here. So got to be that way if you want to find success, I think. And that's that's cool to hear that story from Coach McDaniel. And obviously rising to the top of the coaching ranks is, you know, that's one of the most impressive jobs to hold out there because it's 32 of those guys and thousands and thousands and hundreds of thousands of people doing this, hoping to get to that position at some stage of their career. Let's go ahead and get to Jets Week and my five favorite memories. And I emphasize my favorite memories because I realize that AJ Dewey is probably number one for a massive, massive chunk of the fan base. We'll see about the listeners on this podcast. I don't know the demographic in terms of, you know, those two generations. I think it's probably good, a good split, but I wasn't alive back then. So I'm going to, you, I'm not going to use that fake out because uh, I wasn't there for it. So we start here with number five, 2016 Saturday night, primetime football in the Meadowlands. Matt Moore goes Nanners. Pressure coming, Moore gets hit, puts it up top, racing is Stills, he's got it, Kenny Stills, touchdown Dolphins. 52 yards as Moore hangs in against the Blitz. Remember that game going into it, how tough it was, dealing with the fact that Ryan Tannehill was finally hitting a certain level of play in his career, and then the ACL had just happened six days prior to that as the Dolphins were rolling with wins in seven of eight games to put themselves in position for a December run to the postseason. The Dolphins needed two out of three against a four-win Jets team and a six-win Bills team, both on the road. And if you don't remember this one, it didn't start well, though it did end 34-13. It was really on ice by the end of the third quarter after the Jets were up 7-0 and driving behind Bryce Petty And being a Saturday night in the holiday season, my buddy was having an ugly sweater party after the fact. So my wife and I drove about 45 minutes to my brother's house, who was neighbors with said buddy, to watch the game. Both Dolphins fans, both wives converted into Dolphins fans. And my brother is that ultra pessimistic fan who, when the opposition scores on the opening drive, the game is over. I hope you're listening, Ryan. (laughs) Uh, But as they're driving, you can't help but wonder if Matt Moore's got the juice to get going to overcome a two-score deficit, but that's when Cameron Wake gets the only pick of his NFL career, and from there, it was on. We get a touchdown to Deion Sims, miss the extra point to make it 7-6, then Kenny Stills gets deep on a bust for a 52-yard touchdown. The Jets kick a late field goal, and it's a three-point game going to the break. On the Jets' first possession of the second half, fan favorite Walt Aiken scoops a blocked punt and takes it back for six. Then Deion Sims scores again with six and a half to play in the third. And then Jarvis Landry has that 66-yard catch and run where even that 4-5 speed ran away from the Jets secondary that day. 4-6 speed, maybe. I don't know. It was was a pretty funny-looking catch and run, but it worked. And we do the play before the play segment on the Sunday recap shows. This was the game before the game, the one before that Buffalo victory at the buzzer in overtime, uh, the Jay Ajayi run. What a game and what a fun year. We'll come back to that Jay Ajayi run here in just a second. The number four play on my top five personal Favorite Jet memories, Ted Ginn gets loose twice. It's Ginn sidestepping a couple of hits. Still going, look out, he's one block. One block and he's gone. Well, he's got one man to beat strong. Yeah, no chance. Back to back, Ted Ginn. On a day where the offense could do nothing, we called upon star return man Ted Ginn to make something happen. And boy, did he. Bookending a Jason Taylor defensive touchdown, Ted Ginn piles up 201 yards, 101 on 
uh, back-to-back kickoff returns for touchdowns and 14 points in a wild third quarter where the Jets score 16, but Miami's 21 puts them on top. And then Joey Hainos puts the game away later with a five-yard touchdown pass from Chad Henney as the Dolphins get to three and four in an up-and-down season and swept the Jets, the Jets, the Jets. But that was something I'm not sure you'll ever see again. Two kickoff returns for a touchdown in the same game. I feel even more confident saying you won't see a team score three non-offensive touchdowns in a single quarter for a long, long time, probably ever again. That was the second Jets game that year. Number three on our list here is the first Jets game of the season. Ginn gets loose again, this time as a wide receiver. 10-20 left here in the fourth quarter. Dolphins trail by three. Play action fake. Getting back to throw. Nice protection. Fires a deep downfield. Wants in. Got him. Touchdown, Dolphins. There's that big play you've been waiting for. All right, Miami. How about that one? Wow. Chad Henney put that right on the money to Ted Ginn, who ran by everybody in the stadium. So I did not know I had Jim Mandich on that call. So that's freaking awesome to hear. 2009 Monday Night Football, orange jerseys, just three weeks after our number four moment. The Dolphins at one and three, or before our number four moment, at one and three after a tough start, needing a win to get back in the mix in the worst way. And this wasn't as much about Ted Ginn as it was the entire team, although he became a mini jet killer there for a couple of years. Two kickoff returns, a deep shot over arguably the best cornerback we've ever seen in Darrell Revis. And I know all of you know how this goes, but we wanted Chad Henney to be the answer so bad, right? That's how it is when you have a young quarterback. And we were dying for him to take that next step. And on this night, it really, really felt like he had. Henny spun a 20 for 26, 241 yard, two touchdown game with no turnovers and a 130.4 rating. Ronnie Brown scores on the opening drive and third and goal from the two with 10 seconds to go in the game to cap off a 13 play, 70 yard game winning drive that left the Jets with just three seconds to score a touchdown. They could not. Dolphins win. Head into the bye week at two and three, and of course would sweep the Jets just two games later. We're going further back for my second favorite Dolphins and Jets memory. Bye bye, Ricky. Bye bye, streak. Jets showing blitz. The draw to Ricky. Looking for room. Finds it at the 50. Ricky to the 45. Ricky to the 40. Breaks another tackle. There he goes. Bye bye. Bye bye, Ricky. Bye bye, streak. Under five minutes left. And the Miami Dolphins have just, I believe, have put away the New York Jets for the 53-yard run by Ricky Williams. Touchdown! Oh, we got music with that one, too. The Dolphins enter Sunday with a four-game win streak over the Jets, winners of eight of the last nine in this particular rivalry. But back in the late 90s and into the uh, early 2000s, the Jets had our number, including that Monday Night Miracle game at the Meadowlands, with eight straight wins in the series from 98 to 01. Then we unveil a new weapon and superstar running back Ricky Williams, who ran for over 100 yards in his first three games, including a 151-yard, 174-yard from scrimmage day, and a 53-yard touchdown run with five minutes to go to make it 23 to three. And as you heard the play or the uh, radio voice there, in his opinion, puts away the Jets. And of course, that legendary bye-bye Ricky, bye-bye streak radio call. That 0-2 season, man, I still, to this day, feel so shorted by the outcome of that year. So much talent. Brock Marion, Sam Madison, Pat Sertan, 
with Jason Taylor and Zach Thomas and obviously Ricky Williams in the backfield, Chris Chambers, Randy McMichael. Ah, that was a good team. But the broken thumb after a big win in Denver to get to 5-1, and one, then you lose the next three, including one to the stinking Jets. But that day, that streak buster, the pronounced arrival of Ricky Williams and the famous photo of him stiff-arming Dale Roberts, a photo that I had commissioned and in my favorite piece of art I've ever owned, him putting the stiff arm on Roberts on that day. Number one should be no surprise to anybody. The Dolphins win the division in an improbable season featuring the biggest turnaround in NFL history. Far quickly back to the line of scrimmage. Quick hits. Let's go. Picked off by Goodman. Goodman's got the football at the 29-yard line. Five over through the slant route, and Goodman grabbed it. That's his second interception of the game. Could be a backbreaker for the New York Jets. Week 17, 2008, the Dolphins take the discarded Jets quarterback from that August into the Meadowlands and win the game, the division, on the final day of the season, just three days after Christmas. And I remember this one like it was yesterday. I remember celebrating Christmas with my mom and brother and just thinking like 25th ain't the day I'm looking forward to. I'm counting down to the 28th, the Jets game. I had to look some things up for the other games. Not this one. It's ingrained in my memory. They strike first to Lavernius Cole, 7-0. We get back with that guy again, the mini jet killer, Ted Ginn, on a catch where he squeezes the nose of the football. I know you guys know what I'm talking about. He barely hung on to it for a 20-something yard touchdown from Chad Pennington. Then right after that, Philip Merling stabs a Brett Favre pass and rumbles back for the touchdown. The Jets kick a field goal, 14-9 at half. They score on their opening drive and get the two, Payne. 17 to 14, but not so fast. It's a beautiful pass to the flag to Anthony Fasano to bring Miami back to a 21-17 lead. Then Dan Carpenter puts a long field goal through that put Tony Sperano's fist bump through the skies there in Jersey, right before Andre Goodman picks off Brett Favre on their penultimate drive, and the division title celebration is on after Lusaka Polite gets stopped on third and one on that second to last drive for the first time all season, and then Pennington sneaks it for a first down. And by the time we end up punting the ball back to the Jets, they have 17 seconds and 99 yards to go. They could not. What a day that was, especially, again, in hindsight, with the pickoff there of Brett Favre and Chad Pennington taking, being cut by the Jets into the Meadowlands and winning that game against a guy that we now know to be pretty freaking terrible. So how cool is that? Even in hindsight, that win gets better. Those are my five moments. Number five, excuse me, was a 2016 primetime win over the Jets. Number four, Ted Ginn's two kickoff return touchdowns. Number three, the Dolphins beat the Jets on Monday Night Football in 2009. Number two, bye-bye Ricky, bye-bye Streak. And number one, Dolphins beat the Jets in week 17 to capture the greatest turnaround from one win to 11 wins in NFL history. Let's take our last break here on the Drive Time Podcast and come back and make our week five picks. That's next. Your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. Drive Time Podcast rolling along here. We are making a bit of a schedule change going forward. I'm going to try to make the picks. I just wanted to spread the love on the show here. The Friday show goes a little bit too long for me. Let's go ahead and put one of the segments, probably the shortest one, so it's kind of, I don't know, moot point at this point. Let's move that to the Wednesday show. It's the week five picks. We were four, uh, 11 and five last week, pretty solid week. Although after doing the math, 12 and four is where you want to be to hit the goal that I set this year. So we still got to get some work done to get back to that point. 34 and 21, that doesn't seem right. 44 and 21? Hang on. You know how I always say I suck at math? I I put 34. The number's supposed to be 42. I don't know how to add. 42, 21, and 1. Uh, no. Yeah. 42, 21, and 1. All right. 
Should I cut this? No, we'll keep it in. I'm taking the Broncos over the Colts on Thursday night. I'm just taking the home team there. Uh, both those teams have struggled offensively. I think eventually the Broncos will get going with the Colts. I think on Thursday this week, the Broncos get it done at home. Give me the Packers in London over the Giants. I think that both those teams are 3-1. and one. I think one is absolutely for real. We'll see about the other. Dolphins over the Jets. I'm taking uh, the Dolphins to win that one. On the road, give me the Bills over the Steelers. Give me the Chargers over the Browns going out east. I'll take the Vikings over the Bears. I'll take the Lions. I think the Lions are going to get it right here sooner or later over if it's Brian Hoyer or Bailey Zappi in New England. Give me the Lions either way. I'll take the Saints over the Seahawks at home to get their second win of the season after a tough loss in London. Give me the Titans to keep it going. Their third straight win over Washington. Jacksonville over Houston. I wanted to pick Atlanta over Tampa, but I don't think that'll happen. Give me the Bucks over the Falcons. The Niners over the Panthers on a short week going out east could be tough, but Niners, I think, kind of showed you what they're capable of in that game on Monday. I'll give them the their third win of the season. Rams over the Cowboys. <sighs> I shouldn't do this, but I'm going to put it out there. Cardinals over the Eagles. I don't know why. I'm just going to I'm going to put it out there. Baltimore over the Bengals and the Chiefs over the Raiders on Monday night football. So, you know, uh, I haven't talked to you guys since this happened, and I wanted to close the podcast here. It's kind of a bookend to my entire theme today about my Seattle Mariners. What a season it was, man. And I know a few of you turning the show off right now, but just stay with me here because I'm getting to a point. And I think you can all appreciate this. Coming into the season, expectations for the Mariners were super, super high. They had this young team they've been drafting and building, and they finally replenished a farm system that had been barren for like a decade and a half. And that's why they were so bad in 60, 70 win seasons for literally 20 years in a row. Like they were in the hunt, maybe two or three of those 21 years that they hadn't made the playoffs. And they had replenished the farm so much and had this upstart rookie Julio Rodriguez, who people didn't know if he's going to make the roster on opening day. I did because he's obviously a phenomenal player, but like there was some speculation. He might start the year in the minors. He didn't. He made the team. He's rookie of the year. He probably should be a top 10 MVP candidate. So that was kind of the focal point of this young nucleus they had put together. And pundits were starting to say, maybe they'll win the AL West over Houston, which was way too optimistic. I mean, they finished 17 games clear of us or they will by the time, you know, the season ends on today. But still, the expectation for many was the 21-year playoff drought was going to come to an end. And they had a winning April, and then May happened, and they lost 18 of 23 games, going 10 games under 500 before something, you know, before same old Mariners was pulled back out of our potential vocabulary because it was wrong. They rattled off 14 straight wins and climbed into one of the wild card spots and never relinquished it. They held it the entire second half of the season. September got rough there for a little bit. And one of the crazy stats you'll ever get in baseball is they were the only wild card contender. I think it was teams within five games of the wild card who had a winning record against teams over 500, but also the only team with a losing record against teams who were sub 500. And those last couple of weeks, that's all it was. They played teams that were 20 games out. The Royals, the Tigers, the A's, the Angels, the Rangers. September call-ups in full force. Like The season's over for those teams. They're getting ready for the, the offseason as far as baseball goes. But the Mariners stumbled, and the Orioles did too, which suddenly cut the Mariners' magic number down to one, and they had a chance on Friday night to win the game and put punch their ticket to the postseason for the first time in 21 years. Their postseason drought was legally able to drink. And so I was fast asleep early on Saturday morning because, remember, we were team two hours of sleep heading into that busy Friday, which was a long day. So the 9.40 p.m. Eastern start time was just not going to produce a conclusion that I could remain awake for. 
and what a moment I woke up to. My buddy Noah, you've certainly heard his name here on the podcast, The Spaces on Twitter. He bombards my phone with all these different radio calls, TV calls. Someone even made an edit using the Moneyball score. You know what I'm talking about? Uh... You know, even just typing this gives me goosebumps thinking about it. But you diehard Moneyball fans know what I'm talking about. When Brad Pitt is back in the clubhouse getting his workout on or whatever he did during games or still does, Billy Bean, obviously. Uh, when Scott Hatterberg hits the walk-off home run to clinch the longest winning streak in American League history, they used that score when Cal Raleigh makes contact with the baseball. You hear the crack off the bat. The whole thing goes silent. Then the triumphant music starts when the ball ricochets off the Hit It Here Cafe high above the right field seats. And man, where are all these goosebumps coming from today? That gets me fired up talking about it. Such a cool moment. You know, you literally cannot play Dave Niehaus's call of the 1995 American League Division Series walk-off Edgar Martinez double without getting the hair on my arm to stand up. This one has the same effect because Dave Sims and Mike Blowers have been calling so many September games for this ball club the last 15, 20 years that didn't matter. And they got their chance to call one that really mattered. And I wanted to play it for you guys here because it got me excited. It got me thinking about the nostalgia of all those Jets moments. And it got me thinking about the potential of a future moment like this with the Miami Dolphins. Here's Dave Sims and Mike Blowers from Root Sports when the Maris clinched their playoff berth one week ago. What a lot of anxious folks out here at the ballpark. 3-2 to count. The pitch from Acevedo. laugh there at the end is so out of character for Mike Blowers. It just tells you about how much that meant to him. A guy that played for the Mariners for a long time, and like I mentioned, it's been calling games for even longer, and he finally gets to have a moment like that. I was just thinking about it and bringing it back to the Dolphins. I was wondering what moments previously have done that for you. You know, kind of plays with the Jets memories here. Andre Goodman picking off that Brett Favre pass, you know, is one of my top ones, I think. Weirdly, the Miami Miracle does that, even though it's not attached to any type of like advancement or playoff win or anything like that. I think the 2016 Jay Ajayi run to get into field goal range in that Week 16 Buffalo game I mentioned earlier. That radio call does it. I want to hear from you. Which moments like that in Dolphins history give you instant goosebumps anytime you hear it? a certain call or coverage from that game. And that's a good place to call it a podcast. No preview, or I should say the preview show is coming your way tomorrow. I'm stoked for this week's opponent perspective. He used to cover the Dolphins. Now he's on the wrong side of the rivalry. Antoine Staley will be my guest on the Friday show. So busy week coming your way here on the Drive Time Podcast. In the meantime, it's going to be my time. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. You can follow me on Twitter at WingfieldNFL. Follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank Podcast with Seth and Juice. Check out our Wednesday Twitter Spaces show, Wednesdays at 8 o'clock. The post-game show on WQAM 5 
560, as well as our other international podcast here on the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, the YouTube channel for media availabilities and Dolphins today, and last but not least, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up, Caroline, daddy's coming home.